Welcome to Man Talk, the podcast that's normalising the conversation about men's mental health. This show, as ever, is produced in support of the charity Calm, which is the campaign against living miserably. If you need their help, please visit their website or call them on their free line number between 5 and midnight on 0800 58 58 58. I'm your host, Jamie Day, and you can find me on Instagram at a day in the life dad, and you can read more about my own experiences with mental health on my blog, a day in the life dad.com. This week, I'm in Bristol with Mark Lemon. Mark is a children's author, father of two, and he's married to Simone. Some of you might know Mark from Instagram as the dad author. Last year, Mark wrote a moving piece for the Guardian newspaper detailing the murder of his father when he was just 12 years old. So I'm talking to Mark about grief and how the murder of his father has shaped him and how he's dealt with the loss. So yeah, welcome to Man Talk. Mark, here we are in uh, Bristol, in your lovely home. It is. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being here. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, that's the wrong way around. I should be saying that. No, (laughs) you're not the host. Are you from Bristol? I'm from Cambridge. Cambridge, yeah. right. And how did you get down here in Bristol? So just... I came here via London about seven years ago. Simone fell pregnant with Otis and two months before he was born, I decided that I needed to move here. Basically, yeah. Simone didn't want to live here, so I made the move. Nice. Yeah. Very good of you. So both the kids have grown up here. So yeah. Brist- is it Bristolians? Brist- Bristolians, yeah. Bristolians. Yeah. Through and through. Yeah, have they, they are. Got, they got the accent? They haven't got the accent, but I'm sure it's a matter of time until yeah. they do. Now, some people will have seen your, your backstory on Instagram and will know about your what we're here to talk about, which is the death of your father Yeah, uh, when you were very young. We're going to talk about grief that you've experienced, how that's shaped you mm-hmm. and how you've dealt with that through the years, because how many years ago are we talking now? That's how it'll, be, it'll be 26 years this 26. Saturday. It's quite right. a big so, week. So how old were you at the time? I was 12. 12. Yeah. Okay. And do you want to just basically give us a bit of background on what? how you felt as a young 12 year old boy with such a yeah devastating loss in your life and yeah it was obviously a, a very hard time um so from memory i was at school i was in my class and it was right at the end of the day so it was just as you're you know about to pack your bags up and all that stuff and yeah. somebody came into the classroom or a teacher came in i saw them whispering to the teacher and then they came over to me and said look your mum wants you to go home um immediately which I thought was strange because we only had 15 minutes to go for the day. So... Do you remember what you thought it might be? Oh, I, I didn't know. I think on the way home, I knew something I knew something really bad had happened. You just get a sense. I remember, so, you know, that sort of vivid visuals of um, my friend had locked my bike up. So I went over to get my bike in the bike sheds and then I had to quickly run back and get him to come with his key and unlock it. I don't think I've ever cycled home as fast, you know, as I did that day. And I remember coming into the close where we lived and seeing like uh, police cars and from outside the house, because we lived across a green, um, hearing my younger sister crying and walking in and there was just lots of strange people in the living room. And then my aunt said, oh, your mum wants to talk to you upstairs. So I went with my mum upstairs. We went into one of the little spare rooms and she just said, oh, dad died this morning. As simple as that. As simple as that. Straightforward. But obviously... Because you get a sense that something's happened, you just immediately, I just, you know, you burst into tears. And my mum, I remember her saying, oh, what are we going to do? You know, all of those sorts of things. And basically, I think it was like a minute, we sort of hugged and cried. And then I just thought, 
I need to get out of here. Were you, given, were you given any more information from your mum? No. Right. So it, it, it was one of those, you know, we hugged for about a minute and then I just said, I need to get out of here. I need to go. And she was like, where are you going? I said, I'm just get, got to get out of the house. And I just remember someone sort of shouting back at me to come back. Um, and I just jumped on my bike and went back to school. And a friend of mine who had lost her dad to cancer, I think about a couple of years previous, um, it was really strange because I went straight to her. So, you know, it was like I knew... Was she a good friend? Yeah, she was right. a good friend. Good. So, you know, I'm sure I would have gone to her anyway, but I think because of her dad, and I, I remember just sort of going straight to her, chucking my bike on the floor and said, oh, my dad died this morning. And it was at the end of the drive, so obviously all the kids coming out could see what was going on, and just bursting into tears, dropping to the floor, and then teachers kind of had to bring me back into the school. And... Um, took me into this room and I just, you know, I just remember just sobbing, you know, as you, as you would, I guess. And, uh, and then I went back to a friend's parents' house cause I said, look, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back home yet. You know, cause I think looking back at it, it was because there were so many strange people in the house and it was just those such, strange people just was the police, the and police. And, and there was also a police liaison right. lady who, you know, back then, I guess, you know, there are, there are new processes in place for when these things happen, but she was that person that you would call to say, look, yeah. go support the family. And um, so I went back to a friend's house and uh, and I remember speaking to my mum on the phone from there later on, it was sort of early evening and saying, oh, was it was it the car? Because he had, at the time, he had an MR2, a red MR2, which he loved to, you know, just race up the motorway and, you know. And I thought, well, did he have a car crash, you know? And uh, she wouldn't tell me over the phone. I got a lift back and I remember sitting down with my uncle who, who told me what had happened. He obviously didn't go f into full details, but he was like, look, this is what happened. And I remember going over to, I just remember g going over to the mantelpiece, grabbing a little pen knife thing and going, I'm going to do to this guy what he did to my dad, you know, and all of this stuff. Are you able to touch on what your uncle told you what about what happened? Well, he basically said that he was attacked by, at the time we had a cleaner who was also a friend of the family or became a friend of the family. And um, she was in quite an abusive relationship at the time. So because of how the relationship was, he used to check, her husband used to check the post. So we they decided to direct the post onto our house. So then my dad would sort of, or my mum would take it over to her and, you know, because she only lived around the corner. So basically, he, uh, the husband thought that my dad was having an affair because one day he discovered, he went round to the house that she was clean, uh, cleaning out another house over in a village called Histon and saw my dad's car outside and then kind of put two and two together and thought, okay, well, he must be having an affair with her. So he went in, they were having a coffee and he went to the local shop and bought a boning knife and brought it back and he went, I think he went around the back of the house and they started to have an argument and my dad and him had like an altercational fight. Then he, you know, this guy turned around, pulled out this boning knife and stabbed, he stabbed him twice by all accounts. First time from what the coroner said, the first stab uh, killed him instantly, but then he continued to stab him like 17 times. Oh my God. Yeah. Obviously my uncle didn't go into all of that detail. Yeah. Um, and, and I found that out a bit later on. But that was basically what happened. So was it just a very simple version of that from your uncle? That yeah, yeah. I mean, it was you know he was attacked and attacked. and you know and killed by you know 
this guy who to be fair i didn't know i didn't really know him but sometimes you would see him sort of outside the house across the green sort of you know sometimes like spying or you know cycling past just to see if he could because i remember my parents talking oh look there's roger going past the game you know and yeah. it just he it was obviously not yeah. right in the head not, <laughs> just didn't trust his wife at all mm -mm. and so you mentioned that you went over and you grabbed a pen knife yeah type thing yeah and we're talking about you're going to do yeah it was that kind of reaction of i'm going to do what you know and my uncle who's also he's also a vicar or a priest he, basically he was like you know he was really good at talking to me about it and you know i've never to i've always remembered to this day the sort of you know him and how he was towards me and being supportive but yeah it was that and i remember that evening just going up to my room i always remember that first night and just kind of just dropping to my knees and just you know bursting into tears and i had like i think i had a week off school but i decided to go in a bit earlier and i remember going in with some sunglasses because i'd been crying so much and my eyes were all puffy and, and you know and it's that you know it's that strange thing of everybody knowing what's happened because it was so public you know so i, I presume it'd been in the local news yeah. and newspapers it was and in the like paper so it was on anglian news it was you know it was in so i guess growing up through through my teens you know and we can talk about that as well but you know you kind of get that sense that everyone knows what's happened to me yeah do you know you know so you went back to school after only a few days yeah it wasn't long wasn't long. Was that advised or was this your own decision? I think it was like my own decision after, I think it was a week or so. And, you know, the teachers were like, they were my form tutor at the time. He was, he was one of those people who were, you know, if it wasn't for him, then I would have been expelled and gone to other schools and probably would have gone on a totally different path. But right. he was like, look, you just take your time, you know. So back at school, but that was off your own accord. But there yeah. was also this kind of attitude back in the day where devastating things like that did happen and you went back to work next yeah. day or back to school next day exactly there was no sort of there's no, nothing in place to yeah. support people mm. did you have anything apart from your family mm. and your teachers did you have anything else like i i had a bit of counseling after from Cruz, who obviously a quite well-known bereavement charity soon soon after it happened or? soon soon after but it's just too soon you know it's too soon to be talking about that you need to, you know kids when they've gone through a trauma like that just need time to kind of just just be and yeah. soak it in and talk if they want, share if they want, you know. Did you find you were one for talking or did you? Uh, it, I, was it... I was okay, but it was, you know, it was all done with a smile. It wasn't done with, this is how I'm really feeling. Probably because it hadn't sunk in, you know. It was still kind of in I mean, the back. Do you know, at 12, you've got enough going on with your yeah, hormones yeah. and going through puberty and going into secondary school. And yeah, exactly. Things, so, so for me, to then be able to I guess 12, this. so I was... I was in the midst of my first year at secondary school. So yeah. for me, school was a write-off, you know, after that, obviously, you know, my teens. Were the whole thing, the whole, whole secondary school? Yeah, I've, you know, I, I think it was up to probably when I was sort of 14, the last two years, I just didn't, you know, I'd skive off school and, and you know, I'd, I'd get, into, get into fights and things like that with other kids. And, and I'd just go, maybe go down a path that I didn't really want to, but I think it was just how else were you going to vent how you're feeling without? So you, were you quite angry? You yeah, angry boy. Yeah, I was angry. And you're taking it out by. But taking it out by and... just sort of. <laughs> that was the other thing was because in my nature I was never like that. But right. it was just that that kind of sense of when you know I guess when kids have gone through something like that. I mean that's a huge trauma to go through. So yeah. and if you haven't got another way to release your anger or release your feelings, yeah, it's not a surprise that you took yeah. it out in that way. So yeah. Yeah. so. 
did were you expelled from school or anything like that? No, I came close a couple of times. I right. suspended a couple of times, and like I said, if it wasn't for my form tutor, just or or actually my head of year, who was just quite good with saying, look, you know, he needs support from maybe somebody else or okay. so there was there was actually one of the old headmasters who also had was affiliated with the school he was quite good with um he came in and we had like one-to-ones and chats and things like that and I think I think because he was a because he was a, ma- a male figure you know an elderly male figure I did find it quite easy to speak to him about how I was feeling so in a way I think that helped you know with unloading or downloading sort of what age are we now we kind of 15, oh, so 16. we're probably 15. I, so a, f- a few years on, but it's yeah. still shaping you as a you know teenager. Exactly. Yeah. And then, what was it? So 12, so 15 years old, I've, I've, or 16, I found out that the guy that did, that killed my dad, he came out, he only had four years in prison. How does that work? Because of, yeah, because of good behaviour, apparently. Right. And then they deemed him, you know, obviously not sound in mind, but he, because he was on good behaviour, but... <laughs> I found out through a Channel 4 programme documentary to do with the whole background around obviously what had happened to our family. So the other family affiliated, so the cleaner... It was actually a documentary. Yeah, so the the cleaner um, and her family decided to go ahead with a documentary on Channel 4 and my mum and, and, you know, our family decided not to. And so... What was the point of the... Do you know what the point was? Well, I think it was was? just to to get into what had happened... How both families were now it had all happened, you know how it had affected lives, I guess. Um, but I, I remember I found out I was watching. I was upstairs in my bedroom. I had a few friends around, and we were watching the documentary. And then they were like, "And Roger Carpenter is now out, you know, of prison." And he's and I, I remember going downstairs to my mum. I was like, "Look, why don't you tell me?" And she was like, "Because we're worried about how you'd react, you know." Um, and I think that kind of that was a bit of a blow, you know, to me in terms of knowing that he'd come out so early. Off the back of that documentary and seeing that and knowing he was out, how did you react? Did you did the emotions come back and um, or did yeah, you I think it was just I think it was more just frustration, you know, like you. I think like anyone who's gone through something like that and, and finds out that the the person that ruined their lives is is now out in the public domain and, and getting to enjoy his life as in you know, mixing with everyday public. Yeah. It's, you know, affects you sort of, I guess mentally as well, you know, you're, you're just like, where, where is the justice in all of this, you know? So at the time when you were, when you were this kind of teenage boy and you watch this documentary, you realise yeah. he's out, how was your mental state? Would you suffering in any way or? Um, yeah, I mean, I was suffering, I was still suffering with the grief. I was, right. you know, uh, I think it probably, and and uh, it, it affects you in terms of, um, um, the belief in yourself. I, I'd always suffered with kind of believing in myself that I can do things. You know, like you said, when you're 12 years old and you're already having sort of what's going on in life. You know, going to school. You know, getting good grades and all of this stuff. And you see your friends kind of sort of move on. You know, and enjoy their lives and kind of get come out of school with the grades that they wanted to and go to uni and all mm-hmm. of these sorts of things. And obviously there's been a big thing to impact me, um, to affect me emotionally and believing in myself that I could actually go and do things, you right. know, like achieve things. So it was holding you back. Yeah. Hugely holding you back. Definitely. Okay. And did it shape, so you didn't go to university? No. Your friends? No. Did you go straight into employment? Yeah, I, I had a few jobs here and there. I'd go, <laughs> I'd go and work for some agencies and 
pot washing, things like yeah. that. And then, <clears throat> when was it? We were 20, I think we were all 20. We all went on a holiday to Thailand for the millennium, 2000. Yeah. And, you know, going on that holiday and coming back, it was one of those, okay, well, what am I going to do? You know, and I, what do I enjoy doing? So I enjoyed music. And I enjoyed singing. So when I came back, I was like, right, I'm going to go to the London Music School and try and apply for a position there in singing. So I went and had an audition and um, basically me in front of two other people who, you know, um, a really well-known singing coach and someone else. And they they called me and said, look, we'd love you to, to attend, you know, our diploma course. So I guess... That was a big turning point. At this point, had you do you think you've dealt with your grief? Or was it still lingering? Oh no. The grief the grief was always there. Right. It's always been this there. This is actually going back quite going back to the funeral, I remember someone coming up to you and saying, Well, you're the man of the family now, you know. That's a lot of you know, you know pressure on a twelve year old. Exactly. And uh do you know a comment like that really plants a seed in your head as to how you need to be and right. you know, and I guess it's an important topic to 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 discuss when it comes to men and you know just opening up because throughout those years I didn't you know and I kept it locked because I felt like I that was the stigma old yeah school, exactly you need you know man of the house yeah. man up kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. keep it inside you know mm. there is very dated views okay exactly and that, but thankfully those kind of things are going away now when, yeah you know, thankfully removing the stigmas of such things yeah um and so you're now early 20s and mm. You said you haven't dealt with the grief. So from day to day life, was it just at the back of your mind, or was it? Were you still angry, or what? How yeah, was it I think it's, it's further down the line. Yeah, in the, it's always in the back of your mind. Um, you know, you always have that kind of bitterness um, towards you know what's happened to you, the why me mm-hmm. situation, the why can't I shrug off this feeling of um, not being worthy, um, which I had for a long time and and suffered from it in terms of mental health so how would you describe that mental health well if you had to give it a label i mean yeah. label. i mean did were you depressed were you yeah I'd, I'd say yeah i'd say anxiety depression um i would i wouldn't really feel able in myself to speak to my friends about it from the outside would a friend assume you're okay or do they just think you kind of a angry young man or what how would yeah, the outside think, world I think be maybe they just feel i was maybe a bit maybe that i hadn't moved on from and because back then and that that's the other thing it's kind of people sitting down with you and saying how are you you know which my friend when you've gone through something like that i think sometimes people feel that the best approach is to just just stand off, let yeah. them get on with things, you know. And did, don't talk about it. You know? did, you, did you not talk about it with your not, friends? No, a couple, a couple of them I did, but maybe after only a couple of drinks, you know, right, okay. that sort of thing. And I think that's why in this day and age with with grief, it's important to just listen to that person who's going through things. You know, mm-hmm. when you, I, I watched um, an interesting program yesterday on BBC. Some friends of mine um, who've who've created a film to do with grief and they just said look when you've gone through a trauma like that you're not the same person and you never will be so your friends or your loved ones need to accept that you've changed and they need to kind of adapt to that as well and mm-hmm. I think maybe they they kind of hadn't you know realized that if grief now is a big thing and there's lots of yeah. things in place for young people if they lose a loved one mm-hmm. so do you wish they were there for you yeah, I think, like you said, because of, 
I think it's helped over the last year with people opening up in terms of high profile people opening up about grief and how you talk about it and mental health, which is really important. Mm -hmm. And um, But I think back then, because the only charity that I knew available was Cruise and the stigma around talking about something like that um, and opening up just wasn't what it is now. Mm -hmm. So I think in my mind, if something was there that was going, look, or, or somebody to say, look, come along, talk to us, open yeah. up if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's about being ready to open up, you know, and feeling ready to truly unload how you're feeling, you know. Have you ever truly unloaded or do you think? Or <laughs> no, I do you know. <laughs> have you ever reached an age where you've, because obviously you speak about it openly now. Yeah. Are you, are you, do you think you've unloaded? I think I'm starting to. I right. think I think over the last year, what with the Guardian article and, you know, writing for the Bristol Post and, you know, speaking to yourself and doing things like that, it's really kind of helped me um, open up about everything that's happened because, yeah. you know, I was speaking to my wife yesterday about it and she was like, look, you know, you've, over the last year, you've really, you have started to speak about it more and whereas you wouldn't, you wouldn't, talk about it before you know with me you know it would kind of be let's talk about your dad and then that'll be it you know it wouldn't be like an ongoing you know thing so yeah is it quite therapeutic for you like yeah. now like talking about it more openly and yeah let's touch on that guardian piece that you wrote yeah it's an amazing piece that i would recommend anyone i'm, I'm assuming it's still on the Guardian website yeah yeah brilliant piece yeah. and that was the first thing i really yeah when i first really came across you online mm. and i didn't know your backstory mm -hmm. i mean and it took me aback and I found it quite an emotional read and, and made me want to get to know you. And obviously since then we've hooked up a few times. Did that Guardian piece kind of, was that the start of it all, do you think? Like, yeah. Um, how did that come about? Well, it came about through a mutual friend who was in book publishing and, and she suggested, I was I was trying to get some promotion around, you know, the, the books and advertising. And, and so talking about the book. Talking about to, the book. So just well, to so, link in the books for people that don't know, you've also written some children's books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was before the Guardian piece. Wasn't that was it? before the Guardian piece. Right, okay. So I, I'd spoken because the friend works in publishing, and I said, "Have you got any contacts? You know, any newspapers that might be interested in? You know, just writing an article around, you know, lemon drop books." And and she was like, "Well, yeah, um, I'll put you in touch with so and so." And I think I had um, touched on uh, an article that I wrote, which kind of interlinked with the Cambridge Evening News paper um and sent that the link to him and he was like okay well this is all great you know we love your books and what you're doing but would you be happy to write an article to do with your you know your dad and what's happened with that so but when you're getting into it like we are now and you're talking about it you know you could write for forever and um i remember sitting at my laptop in our front living room and you know occasionally if i'm trying to get inspiration i'll put some music on in my head and all that stuff and i remember just you know, just bursting into tears because there are memories back there which you just forget, you know. Going They're back all with... locked in. Exactly. Right. And you so... You put them down on a, yeah. on a laptop. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you start to download yeah. and things like just speaking to my mum and saying, oh, when, you know, how old was Dad when he died? You know, mm -hmm. things like that. So um, you had to do a bit of research for the, for the piece. Do, so I had to do a bit of research. Bringing it back again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was like, you know, you'd, you know, where you kind of put something in a hole you put the soil over and you you walk away from it but with that I'm kind of digging it back up again and, sure. and getting it out and yeah. so and also I have some articles at home some clippings of of um the press that 
around you know when it, my dad died and so I had to read some of those obviously to kind of go into what what had really happened and so yeah that kind of just sort of it's like a an uppercut to the mm. chin you know and you're just like wow okay. um so yeah that's kind of when it really started to open up and and in myself you know and this is only a year ago isn't it yeah it's like this time last year I yeah think. yeah you're 38 now 30, so, 39 39 yeah yeah so maybe for the last almost 20 years you kind of still had it kind of you've been bottling it up maybe like yeah I mean it's do you know what grief is something that you work around you know um you know it's not something that just goes away there's mm. you know there are five stages of grief but hey that's you know in some instances that's that's not true because you just learn how to deal with it you know right so, in your life so as a mature man now and looking yeah. back with you know the experience of being able to write about it and talk about it opening now yeah if you would give for you know young people some advice yeah. on how to deal with grief. Mm. I mean, what would be your kind of things you would say yeah. might help? I'd just say, you know, you'll open up in your own time. Mm-hmm. Um, express how you're feeling the best way you know. You know, whether it's drawing, writing, um, speaking to somebody. You know, do it at your own pace. Um, Ignore those that say that, you know, you go through the five stages of grief and then it's gone. You know, it doesn't. It's never going to go. You work your life around it, you know. Um, there's a, there's actually a, a professor, I can't remember her name, but anyway, there's like a circle and then you kind of, there's lines across your life, you know, that cross over the circle at, at the key points in your life and like birthdays and things like that, you know, like anniversary, like coming up this Saturday and where it all comes up again, you know, mm-hmm. so... It's just being kind to yourself and through negative um, experiences come positive outcomes. You know, your life can move on, you know, good things can come and you can still move on with your life. And I think that's something that maybe I learned at an early age was just to try and stay as positive as I could, you know. And talking about positive, you're now doing a hugely positive, positive thing. You're working with the charity Winston's Wish yeah. with, your, with your books. Mm-hmm. Your new, you've got a new book, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Which is called... The Magical Wood. Okay, yeah. and, and so proceeds from the book go to support Winston's Wish. And yeah. just tell us something quickly about Winston's Wish. So Winston's Wish, um, children's bereavement charity based in Cheltenham, and they help to support lots of children across the UK um, when experiencing the loss of a parent or a loved one. Amazing charity, and they sort of, they're basically there for kids at a time when they really need them. A bit like, you know... When, when I was a child and I think that's why when I was originally looking for a, a charity to get involved in and a friend of mine um, discovered them I was like it was just Perfect I match. had to do it yeah yeah and the future plans are you going to continue writing books for, that help children with bereavement yeah so, well do you know what I speak to some I speak speak to Simone a lot about this and we're even discussing about potentially starting our own sort of foundation or, or charity to do with bereavement which I think It'd be perfect. And I, I, it, I think gone in the right way, it could be something that could work really well, you know, to help a lot of kids. Um, whether I'm going to write another book to do with bereavement, I'm not sure because it feels like the magical wood in terms of me and the story and how I feel about bereavement. It kind of works perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, And the, the magical wood, that's out now, it's, isn't it's, it? It's, it's available to pre-order now. Today, but it's out, is it? It's, it out the 12th, it's out the 12th of May, which... Right also marks 26 years since my dad died so right. it kind of feels if 
it's a it's a funny uh, funny week. It's like a double edged sword. You've got, you've got a, a book coming out that you're really proud of, and you've put a lot of emotion into, and you're you know that's hopefully going to help lots of kids. And then you've got an anniversary marking, you know, the reason why I'm writing the book in a sense. So yeah. it's kind of a celebration, I guess. You know, yeah. Yeah. how do you, how do you normally mark the anniversary of your dad's death? I do, I don't know. I I don't really. I guess I like to have a quiet day of reflection and thinking mm-hmm. about. My dad, even though I do it every day, it's funny, Simone, sort of, my wife always says that, you know, you always, you know, emotionally, you always change slightly on, on on the day. We always know when it's coming up. So a week like this week, you know, you'll act a bit differently. But I think through over the last year, through opening up and talking about things more, talking to yourself, you know, it kind of, it helps me a lot. So maybe I'm not like that so much this year so next year we could be even further could, well you know, yeah exactly it does sound like it's a therapeutic thing for you to like, definitely you, know, you mentioned earlier a way to deal with grief is to express yourself whether it's drawing writing or something. yeah obviously maybe over the last year you've found a way of yeah. expressing yourself and at the same time you're doing something positive you're helping other people yeah which is an incredible thing yeah that's the best thing about it all is knowing that i could potentially you know help a child who is either about to experience something like that or, or has already you know they sort of say 45,000 children per year experience the loss of a parent or a loved one and so there are a lot of children who need support you know from great charities out there mark this has been amazing thank you so so much your words advice and how you've dealt with your own experience is going to be invaluable to lots of people out there um thank you so much thank you thanks for having me on Thanks for listening to Man Talk. You can subscribe to the podcast on all the regular platforms to ensure you don't miss an episode. Together, we can tackle men's mental health and help normalise the conversation. If you are suffering, please consider reaching out to a friend, a family member, a GP or a charity such as Calm. Thanks again for listening and take care.